This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to season four of Inspiring Design with Roshan Senanayaka. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge, all centered around the growth sector in advanced manufacturing within Industry 4.0, encompassing various industries, technologies, skills, knowledge, trends as well as stakeholders all the while linking it back into education within schools and universities. Today's episode is all about industrial design, one of the most versatile and integrated design disciplines in the modern world today. To speak about this, we're joined by two leading experts, Dr. Tim Williams and Andrew Peterson. Firstly, Dr. Williams is a senior lecturer in industrial design at QUT with extensive professional experience in design leadership roles. Tim understands the value of bringing industry and academia together. This is reflected in his practice in experiential learning, connecting students to industry professions through authentic learning experience, such as study tours and industry projects. Joining Tim today is Andrew Peterson. Andrew is a practicing industrial designer and educator. He's been heavily involved as a lecturer and sessional academic across most of QUT's industrial design programs since 2014. He is really passionate about integrating the latest emerging technologies into design workflows, creating human-centered products that can make a real difference. So these are the experts. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. All right, guys, so welcome to Inspiring Design. Now we're here with a bit of a unique recording here with two guests. So who would like to go first? And I'm gonna throw the first question at either one of you, you can pick. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and story. Okay, well, I'll go first. Um, my name's Tim Williams, and my background is industrial design. So I graduated from industrial from University of South Australia in 1988, so I've been around for a while. Um, my career has been split almost 50-50 between working in industry as a designer uh, and working in the, in the um, education sector. So, uh, so I've, got a, I've had a fairly wide variety of experiences from working as a design consultant, um, also working in, uh, as, a, um, uh, as a designer on a payroll in a, in a, um, uh, in a manufacturing organisation. Uh, and also then I've been working um, for the last 13, actually no longer than that, 15 years or so uh, in the education sector. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, there was a lot of overlap between, um, between industry and education. Yeah, awesome. There you go, a lot of yep. wealth of knowledge coming from there. And uh, what about yourself? Cool, so um, Andrew Peterson, I graduated uh, from here at QUT back in 
2003 uh, and since worked as a design consultant as a, a local studio here for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, if anyone's worked in design at all in Queensland, you'll know Rob Geddes. So yep. worked for years with him, which was fantastic. And uh, following that, uh, set up my own uh, consulting business, Inspired, and have been doing that since then, so the last decade or so, uh, as well as uh, since 2014, uh, found myself roped back into things here at uh, QUT in the industrial design program here. So doing some tutoring, lecturing with different units, uh, doing some research projects, that sort of stuff. And most recently I'm starting to push away from the client work and more into developing my own products, uh, a bit more of that entrepreneurial aspect. Awesome. There you go. And I'm um, not sure if you're aware of this, but um, this podcast belongs to Inspired Education Australia. So <laughs> we're not connected. Yeah, <laughs> we're not connected, but we're like-minded people. So I love that. And um, so let's get straight into the main topic of the day, industrial design within an advanced manufacturing context. Um, from your expertise and perspectives, what exactly is industrial design? <laughs> yeah, you promised to explain that in, in, a, in a short sentence, but, I'll, but that's, that's okay, I'll, I'll have a go at it. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, we, I, I don't have a concise explanation of industrial design. The best I can say is that it's designing anything that's not buildings, anything that's not clothes, anything that's not furniture, although lots of different disciplines design furniture, so we can do that as well, um, and not two-dimensional graphics. So it really is anything that's mass-produced in a, or even sometimes not mass-produced, low-volume production, uh, anything that's manufactured for, um, generally for consumers, um, and it's not just products as well, because it can also be services, so we can design uh, a service for people, or a combination of services and products. So the difficulty of explaining what it is, is simply the fact that it's an incredibly broad, complex um, um, area that has overlaps with other disciplines as well. So mm. engineering, for example, there's an overlap there. Uh, as I said, furniture, there's often overlaps with furniture designers. <laughs> um, you know, we also may be getting involved in uh, wearable technology, so there's an overlap there with fashion. So there's overlaps with lots of other disciplines. Yeah. So that's why it's very hard to... to um, to define very briefly. Yeah, Unless you want to have yeah, a try yeah. at defining it, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the most common response I hear from people when uh, asked this is, oh, you design factories. <laughs> oh, like, wow. Uh, okay. No, that's, that's I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> it comes from the industrial aspect right. of industrial yep. design. Yeah, makes and sense. And so my response is, well, no, we don't design the factories, but we design the stuff which is made using yep. these industrial processes. Yeah. Uh, so typically, yeah, those, those mass manufactured items. And there you go. And um, like I mentioned before this recording, um, I'm in the middle of Steve Jobs' autobiography, one of the, I think, in all-time most creative geniuses that we can see in the modern world and one of the things he describes industrial designers is literally the coolest thing coolest job that anyone could do if, if he's saying something like that i think we're in a in good company so it's a lot of fun yeah it is, a, it is a lot of fun and i think the other the other thing that's really worth pointing out to hmm. is that uh, there is a perception that uh, that industrial designers uh, just make things look pretty um just Ooh, make wow. products yeah. look, look yeah. nice um, and that's a really, really common misconception, and it's really only a very, very small fraction of what we do. We, mm. Yes, we do look at aesthetics, that's very important, 
but it's a very minor uh, part. We also look at um, things like ergonomics, that's very important, uh, usability. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of research into user needs and, and, and so that we know that we're designing the right product for the right people. Empathy so, mapping would be a very common practice. Very much so, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so those, those sorts of things, uh, just, it's worthwhile pointing out because there is this perception. In, um, I think perhaps when, when people look at um, engineering compared to industrial design, mm. um, engineering is, is sort of less focused on the aesthetics of the product than mm. industrial designers are, less focused on the human aspects of the usability than industrial designers are. So I think there's a perception that industrial designers only look at those aesthetic components and then engineers never look at it but there's yeah. obviously overlap yeah and i think the two needs to go hand in hand just like bringing an architect and an engineer together to Absolutely. bring a realization of a building yeah. so it's like the, two sides of the same coin yeah you know, but we're both just looking slightly <laughs> different different viewpoints of the same thing Definitely. and at the end of the day we need to design taking all of that into account but design it for manufacture so mm. the thing can actually be made yeah which is what we're talking about here today yeah 100% well that's a that's a actually a very good lead on to my next question which is given that it's actually a really broad area it, it has so many overlaps and goes into so many different things how do you teach it <laughs> <laughs> given that we're in a university you know that's um, like you've been experts in that especially within you know um, a QUT context of industrial design so how does it work from an education point of view? Well, it's, it's challenging. And another description of industrial design is that it's, it's a mile wide and an inch deep, as opposed to some disciplines that are very focused and, and more, more depth. Mm. So that creates a challenge because it means that whatever you're teaching, you have to teach that very broad range. But the key thing, I think, really is just to get, uh, is to teach students how to be inquisitive and how mm. to problem solve. So that even though there are lots of things that we just aren't able to teach students, we are at least able to teach them how to find out uh, about those things once they've once they've graduated. So I think that's mm -hmm. the key the key important thing. But then on top of that, we have um, it's very important that we we teach students a certain um, range of, of key skills. So skills such as sketching, uh, skills as, such as computer-aided design, um, skills uh, such as uh, you know researching. Um, product. So there's this range of skills, and mm -hmm. then there's um, uh, then there's obviously knowledge that backs that up. So a range of materials and processes and manufacturing, design for manufacture. Mm. So I'm sure I've missed yeah. out lots of yeah. lots of components there, but saying <laughs> that as well. So whilst yeah, for the most part we cover a broad spectrum, a shallow depth. There are aspects uh, such as injection molding, which are very common for industrial designers to end up designing products that are injection molded mm -hmm. and it's a bit more of a complicated uh, process out there compared to some of the others and so we do focus on some of those areas in greater depth mm -hmm. uh, but often it's still um, it, industry may find us lacking in some of these different areas uh, but as Tim was saying the, the intent is to develop students that are well-rounded and can explore and discover the depth as they need to rather than the expectation that they all come out knowing this one thing really well because mm. you know, they'll go out and they'll get a job and they'll for sure be doing something different to what they've been taught and you yeah. don't want to be stuck in a position where uh, I don't know how to do this I'm stuck what yeah. do I do it's oh yeah I can absolutely tackle that problem for you uh, I know how to go about finding the answer mm, so I think there if I'm hearing you right it's the problem solving critical thinking creative approaches to those kinds of any context really so mm. 
how do you then bring in so one of the very common questions that the listeners that we usually get from teachers and students at a high school level is the software that gets used so you mentioned computer-aided design what are the foundational tools that's running industrial design like what do you guys use uh, well, there's a, there is a range of, uh, of different uh, software packages that you can use. Um, Computer-aided design is the, is the key thing. Um, so three-dimensional, um, uh, often parametric-based 3D modelers. Mm-hmm. Um, we use SolidWorks here particularly, but Fusion 360 uh, is also used. And, and in indus- industry, there, there is a vast variety of uh, CATIA, um, ProEngineer, Crea- yeah, so on and so on. Mm. Yeah, they're all largely similar as well. So, <coughs> and I, I learned SolidWorks and Rhino and AutoCAD and different ones at uni. Mm. Went out, got a job, and was using ProE yeah. Wildfire too. And then uh, tr- um, transitioned from there into Fusion and other software. These days, jumping into uh, Gravity Sketch and VR. Yeah. Uh, so that's an avenue we're moving into here at the moment as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's so many different options. Um, the from an earlier stage of software, so uh, from the sketching side of things, we do a lot of analog stuff, but we also do uh, see a lot of digital work these days. And so on the iPad, uh, Procreate or, yep. or Autodesk Sketchbook, uh, very common tools. Mm. Uh, it's really anything that can help progress uh, efficiently yep. uh, your design work. And then yeah, into the CAD side of things, design for manufacture aspects. So. Perfect. Well, and I'm gl- very glad to hear that you mentioned Gravity Sketch in VR. So we're, we're kind of exploring these new sectors with these new tools coming in. I personally see the way Gravity Sketch is when, when CAD first came out. Like if we're mm-hmm. thinking about the foundation of AutoCAD when it first released, we're still trying to find our feet. What version did you use? <laughs> Which version of AutoCAD, the yeah. first one? Uh, two. AutoCAD two. version two. Oh, wow. Okay, there you go. Uh, there so you that go. was on. <laughs> it was DOS-based, didn't pre-Windows. Um, right. That was, yeah, that was 88, I think. That would have been a completely <laughs> different way of doing Yeah, that's right. And then I was lucky, actually, I saw uh, SolidWorks coming in. Um, the company I worked for was one of the first companies in Australia to purchase SolidWorks. Oh, back wow. in SolidWorks version 97, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been using SolidWorks since, what does that work? Be 25 years. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. it's been around for a long time. So people tend to think of CAD as being this new thing that's, that's come out. But mm. from my perspective, it's not that new. Yeah. Um, 3D printing is another example where um, I think I got my first 3D printed model back th- nearly 30 years ago. So again, it's not new. Mm. Um, but... It's become more mainstream. Exactly. Yes. So what's happened, I think, is it's just it's got to the point where uh, where, where it's, it's it's found its niche. Uh, it's three D printing has got to the point where it's it's cost effective enough. Um, machines have become so much cheaper and so much more effective, um, and there's a much wider range of materials and, and mm. so on. So I think that that's happened, and I think also with CAD has become really mainstream, hundred percent mainstream. No one would design. Well, there are very few design projects where you're pr- producing a product that you wouldn't use CAD. Mm. Um, and you know, three D printing as rapid prototyping technique, which is what it used to be, mm-hmm. um, has always been used and has, continues to be used. But of course, now we're we're going more into um, in, into additive manufacture, so we're using it as a manufacturing tool. But that's again, that's just in the infancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it hasn't we haven't really got to that point where it's 
it is mainstream. Just, mm. just on the CAD side, one thing I'd add to it as well is like I'm aware a lot of uh, schools have traditionally used Inventor, for mm. example, and that we don't typically use Inventor here at, um, at QT anyway for industrial design purposes, mm-hmm. but it is very similar to SolidWorks and mm. to Fusion and the other ones. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, the primary difference between them is where the buttons are located. Yeah. The same process behind it. And the same approach, uh, same thinking yeah. is involved. Yeah. Yeah. The workflows are very similar. Maybe you click a, something in a slightly different order, yeah. but uh, once you know one, you pick up the next one much faster. You pick up the third one even faster. Mm. And mm. so that's uh, also something that we try to get across to students here is that you know, it's, you'll probably learn these and go get a job and you might be specializing in a particular industry and they use Katia or something different. Mm. Uh, but if you're aware of the process, the workflows behind it, mm-hmm. uh, it's very transferable. I think that's music to years for many teachers. Currently in 2022, we're, we're going through these teacher shortages at a high school level everywhere in Australia mm. and some other countries globally as well. Where And design educators are even rarer to find and therefore all of these non-design background professionals are coming into that context. So their method of thinking is very different. Recently we had a botanist that was part of their design and we were walking through Fusion 360. So their approach to thinking was very different simply because of their mindset of what Mm. they've worked for. So I'm glad that you shared that about the... Um, I think a different approach in looking at the software rather than just looking at things from that particular window. So where do you think all of these tech things are cool? Where do you think lo-fi prototyping and actually can you guys explain what is lo-fi prototyping, hi-fi prototyping in your knowledge? This is a common question and it just came to my head. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen I've seen a description um, that was put out of all the different types of prototypes that you can get. I think there's about twenty mm. categorised, um, and, so, and so you you can break it down to a lot of different uh, a lot of different a lot of different ways. Uh, but the look the reality is that you generally start off with a prototype to test out. So whenever you make a prototype, it's really important that the prototype is there to do something to test something. Mm-hmm. So normally to start off with, you'll just be testing out maybe the size, volume, or shape of something, maybe a hand grip or something very simple. Mm-hmm. So being lo-fi means that you want to get something really quick that's just going to test out one little uh, aspect. Um, and then as you progress through the design process, you'll refine that down to something a little to more to more accurate um, with a lot more detail in it and then that becomes the, the hi-fi um, uh, prototype. So you can start with paper or cardboard, yeah, 100%. Um, yep. yeah. polystyrene foam, yep. uh, yeah, high density foams, that sort of stuff, something you can carve and hack Anything into nice quickly. And, quick. yep. uh, and yeah, it's, saying, yeah, it's that uh, rapid test iteration, develop something, get an understanding of the shape and size and mm. uh, but then yeah use cardboard to do cross sections of mechanisms and how things are working and uh, so you're looking at the functional aspects then and then you start to combine them into your higher level ones where you're integrating the mechanisms into the forms Mm. and and getting your really nice aesthetic finishes and everything yeah 20 different types of models you might do but they each communicate something and that's the core thing to prototyping is mm. it's a communication tool yeah uh, especially up until the point where you have the final design um, 3d printers 
uh, really making uh, prototyping often skip a number of those early stages. And you go straight and into so, high fidelity. Yeah, people yep, go yep. straight to, oh, I'll do a CAD model and I'll print it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it still takes time to print. Mm. And in that time, you could have still explored a whole bunch of different variations using paper or cardboard yep. and come up with a better solution. So yes, you can do it quickly, mm. uh, but uh, yeah. Interesting. And, and, and obviously, given how much of the lifespan of computer-aided design has been around. We're almost now adding a whole set of new tools with, you know, uh, machine learning, AI coming into play, um, VR designs, and, you know, apps like Gravity Sketch being in its early days type thing. Where do you think we'll be in the next 10, 20 years as an industrial designer? What do you think you'll be doing, let's say, in 2040? Look, I think, yeah, I think definitely AI is gonna is gonna have a, a big impact, and, and there will be tools that will help us design. Um, will it uh, replace the industrial designer? Do you think? I don't think I, so. Okay, why? I, I really don't think so. So the reason why is because I think the, the probably the, the two two hardest things for AI to do. Um, is is empathy and, and creativity. So mm. we know that um, creativity. There's a difference between creativity and there's a difference between just coming up with something new and coming up with something that's new and useful for people. Mm. And I think there's you, in order to make something useful, you need to have empathy. You need mm. to understand people, not just not just have observed them and then think you. And the, that's all a computer can do, really, is it can observe, it can be fed information. Yeah, but. <clears throat> Can it really understand, you know, what it's like to, um, I don't know, get on a train? There's a level of intuition that the, yeah, you can't just, be replaced. Yeah, I think that's really, really hard to do. And I may, maybe at some point we it will get to that point, but I think that'll it'll be a very long time before we get to that point. Mm. So, uh, but I think tools, absolutely, there's going to be some fantastic tools that will really help us. Um, and I, to be honest, I don't know what they're going to be. It's going to be interesting <laughs> to see what happens and what yeah, develops yeah. in this space. But, you know, like in every profession, I think there will be tools, AI tools, that will just help us do our job better. Um, there might be tools that, uh, like Dali, that will just help spark an idea mm. and help us along the creativity path. But I don't think they're going to do the job for us anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. I think there'll be a, a mix of, of tools. And the common thing is, you, is fear of, oh, I won't have a job because technology is going to... And do away with it but really it's about it's a tool it's adapting and improving what we can do at the moment yeah and so instead of taking weeks or months to design go through hundreds of iterations it's like okay well maybe we'll become a bit more of a wordsmith mm. and have to have that knowledge of, of history that we can phrase our text prompts mm. in an appropriate way mm. to get the ais to come up with the, the best uh, visual results and it'll come up with a wall full of hundreds of ideas that we can uh, effectively be a design director go through the process and say okay I like this aspect I like this aspect put those together try this one in and it speeds up the flow yeah. uh, of the design process and lets us explore more than we could traditionally have yep. so it's actually making things better that's that's mm. where i want to see it go and then linking in with uh turning those 2d conceptual images into your 3d models that can um, be manufactured using a specific process and we already see some of those tools coming in through uh even like uh, fusion with the alternative mm. modeling yeah can specify something to be 
uh, injection moldable and lightweight and super strong and it'll iterate the different things. But at the moment, it doesn't, as Tim was saying, have that idea of usability or uh, of empathy. And so is it going to create something the user actually wants and desires? And mm. so, uh, especially until we get those links happening, uh, there's definitely a huge role for the designer yeah. uh, in that process, yeah. which to me is really exciting. And 100%. Just, just last week I was playing around with uh, Dali, created a, uh, some furniture sketch, uh, furniture designs in Dali, dropped it into Gravity Sketch, mm -hmm. and 20 minutes later had, had the chair uh, in 3D sitting there. Uh, but the design itself, yeah. like looking from a designer perspective, is like, that's not going to be a comfortable chair. Yeah. It's not yeah. really that functional, <laughs> yeah. and there's going to need to be a lot more thought going into it before I could manufacture this chair. Yeah. So a few missing links yet. But. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, the way you're, one of the things that I constantly go back to, and when you were describing it, what came to my mind was when Tony Stark from Marvel was actually designing that first prototype yep. of his suit yep. in a cave and um, it's actually put together again in a, in a very MVP context mm. and then refined and 3D printed yep. and polished up CAD, AI, all of those systems coming into play. <laughs> so that's I think the very cool part. Now you mentioned the word um, automation and, and job losses and I think that's the part that I wanted to explore a bit more because how do you see this next iteration of where is the job losses happening with the adoption of tech? Oftentimes it might be the, the low end of the... Uh, everyday tasks. Yeah, the everyday tasks mm -hmm. uh, where um, jobs are lost because they're easy to automate. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, oftentimes those are tasks that people don't <coughs> want to be doing anyway. Uh, and we're better suited to the more creative things or, or those higher level tasks. Mm. So they're often the ones that are, are most at risk. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they are ones that people just want to do. Um, so you don't necessarily rule out all those jobs. Mm. People will still want to do, do them at times. Yeah. The uh, automation aspect, I guess, and, and the job losses, one can, comes to mind, and I think you've done a podcast on it recently with uh, Watkins Steel. Mm. Um, and so the idea is, okay, well, we've got new tools. We can actually upskill a lot of our workers to these new tools that we're using. Yeah. And so it's not so much about job loss, but evolution. enhancing, mm. uh, and yeah, that evolution of the jobs, uh, giving people uh, that opportunity to increase their skill sets and do more interesting things. Mm. Um, leads to better wages for them as well and yeah. uh, better opportunities for the companies behind it. So I think it's a mindset as much as anything is mm. to be thinking about how we can not just kill off a whole bunch of jobs, but mm. we create new ones. Where's the next and, iteration? Yeah, and mm. move into those spaces. And I, and I think that's always been that's been something th throughout history where uh, you know, the Luddites thought that, that would be the end of the, the uh, clothing industry once the once the automatic um, weaving machines came out mm. um, that didn't happen um, and I remember there was discussion about well it's going to be the end of industrial design when CAD takes over well CAD <laughs> hasn't taken over it's just become a tool that we've used yeah um, but I think one of the really interesting possibilities is that um, as, as we uh, adopt things like 3d printing or additive manufacture it gives us an opportunity to um, to uh, to create 
um, mass customization. So mm. with mass customization, the one thing that we're going to need is more designers to design the things that are going to be mass customized. So, yeah. so in, in many ways, some of this technology will actually allows uh, creates more jobs um, or has the potential to create more jobs, whilst other taking away, as Andrew was saying, some of the drudgery that mm. goes along with the mm. with the job as well. So, in many ways, I think it's just going to improve and possibly even uh, increase the demand for industrial design. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then who's nice around the corner? Digital <laughs> yeah. cameras didn't replace the photographer. Yeah, uh, can't but, replace that eye. No, yeah, but it opened up opportunities for a larger group of people to mm. be involved at some level of photography. Yeah, uh, and I think that mass customization is the key there because that's how mm. Industry 5.0 is kind of dis- defined almost very commonly. So thinking about the requirement for mass customization, the center of it is actually the empathy, the intuition, the creativity, how do you actually mold something for a particular person, but done at a massive scale with all of this cool tech. So that's, I think, where the iteration of the next wave of jobs and how we work is changing. So where do you think the tech, the key technologies that'll drive industrial design over the next decades, what do you think you will see? What's here to stay? Similar to CAD? What are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> yeah, this is a difficult one, isn't it? It's future casting. Um, look, you know, definitely CAD, CAD is here to stay. And I think one of, Andrew mentioned this before. One of the interesting things will be when, when CAD evolves a little bit further to, to take away some of the, the complexity of how to design an injection molded part, for example. Um, and it's very close to that. Uh, and I think I think what's really interesting will be um, interacting with CAD in a in a more tangible way, or not tangible, but a um, immersive way, such mm-hmm. as Gravity Sketch, which mm-hmm. is essentially CAD. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, but you know, it, it's full scale. <clears throat> and I think once those tools develop, and the interesting thing about them, I think like VR has been around for a long time. I think seventies, I think, mm, memory, something like that. So it's not new. It's not a yeah. new technology, but it's just got to the point where. The, the hardware and the software have, have evolved enough to make it useful. Yeah. And I think now it's got to that point and I think it's got, it, it still has a long way to go. I mm. mean, there's a lot that, you know, Gravity Sketch is sort of the only option really at the moment yeah. um, and, and it still has some limitations that, so I think there'll be other offerings that will come up which will make that space really, really interesting. And I think this way of interacting with, uh, and when the technology, when the hardware gets a little bit more usable as well, because there's only so much time you can spend with one of these things stuck Correct. in front of your face. Mm. Yeah. So um, so that will have to improve, but it will improve like all other technologies do, mm. and it'll become refined enough so that it's, it's very usable. Um, combine that to with some with AI as well, um, and we could really see some interesting things happening. Mm. Um, but you know, who knows where that's going to take us? Going <laughs> back true. to your Tony Stark yep. view, so not only VR but your AR, your yes. overlays of um, maybe Whether you're doing it's a tabletop. A, yeah, yes. maybe you're doing a, a quick foam mock-up of something, mm. uh, and you're overlaying some visuals of it, creating a scan model of it simultaneously that you can then sculpt in CAD. Mm. Uh, that you run through an AI generator that develop some iterations for you and automatically sends to your 3D printer and yeah. uh, runs runs that through. And from your manufacturing perspective, yeah, you put your glasses on and you've got your digital twins of 
of your factory setup uh, where um, you can tell where everything else is in the factory that's coming down the pipeline towards you. Mm. Uh, it's giving you instructions on where to weld or yeah. um, what bit fits with uh, what other bit or where some missing tool is. It's like, where, where's the screwdriver? Oh, yeah. it's over that way. <laughs> yeah. um, so there'll be a lot of um, those sorts of um, mm. abilities come through. Definitely. I and I think that's where um, even looking, going back to the Tony Stark thing, he's, his material knowledge, his, his worldly physics, mm. chemistry knowledge applied to the yeah. design process was he was the one running it. Yeah. The only difference between how we work and what we see on the movie screen was he was just telling an AI system to actually go through the rendering and do mm. those, you know, production heavy things that we spend hours and yes. hours doing in front of the screen. So I think that's where I think the cool things are yet mm. to come even. That's where this exciting yeah. industry can take us, I think. The, the mass customization aspect as well we were talking about, um, it's in a way ideal for the Australian market mm. uh, because globally we are very small uh, in Australia and so in some ways uh, yeah we got left behind in the manufacturing area for a while mm. uh, and part of that is just because we don't have the, the number of people to make it worthwhile scaling up huge factories and uh, automated <laughs> assembly lines and mm. everything like that mm. uh, for one type of product producing countless millions of yeah. uh, but the idea of um, the industry 4.0 and 5.0 of that mass customization and being able to um, have smart machines that are connected to each other that you can rapidly change and, and do something unique for each different one, uh, design a pair of shoes that uh, adjust based on the person's actual foot yep. uh, and where they put pressure on things. And well, that's so actually exactly two episodes. No, the last episode <laughs> just before yours, um, iOrthotics here yep. in Queensland, they're doing the exact same thing, mm. but roughly doing 35,000 customizable yep. orthotics mm. for each individual different person. Yeah. So that was incredible. Yeah. And Adidas are using tech in some of their issues these days, but they're not quite customizing them individually yet, mm. but that would be an the obvious next, next step. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing which uh, in Australia in the smaller market for us is ideal because we can um, go through a lot of these processes where it's almost going back to the artisan approach, mm. uh, but in a mass um, method with tech. Method. Yes. Makes sense. And so kind of almost skip a generation of of uh, industry mm. and really take advantage of the smart interconnected uh, nature of things but bringing the human element back into it yeah and i think this is where this uh, a lot of people i think aren't aware of how much of a central role the industrial designer has in between all of these things <laughs> so if you were to give some advice for students who might be listening they're thinking about exploring their like design but they're not 100 percent sure at a high school level what's your advice for the students Something good's going to come now. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the um, <clears throat> I think we, we mentioned this before. And I think it's really worth probably mentioning at this point is that um, to do CAD right, it's really important to get the basics right, even though they're a little bit boring. Mm -hmm. And it's following the right workflow. Mm. And so, and this probably doesn't really address your question, but it's it's, it's related, and I think it's worth pointing out mm -hmm. um, that getting those basics right and making sure that you follow a, an effective and and good um, 
uh, workflow, it, it makes your life easier. That's, yes. that's, it's really good to get into, into, the, <clears throat> into good habits as early on as possible. And there's always this, there's always this enthusiasm to, to sort of leap forward and just, just jump in and, and get, get something happening. Mm. Um, but you know, taking a step back and taking your time is, is well worth it. Mm. Um, and, the design, and that actually applies to the whole design process, not just CAD. Um, because there's always this temptation just to go, oh, I just want to get this thing out there and just like leap, leap straight into CAD and make something. Mm. Um, and that's part of everyone. Everyone for everyone wants to do that. But when you take your time and you actually take your time to go through various iterations and, and try and come up with as many ideas as possible, that's a much better design process than just leaping at the first idea that you come up with. So that's really important. So... Um, yeah, so I think there are some things. I, I think the key, the key message I'd say to students would be, um, you know, listen to your teachers, listen to the process. The process is the most important thing. Mm. Follow that process, and it might seem a little laborious, but it will give you the best results, and yeah. the results are really what you're after. So, um, and try and resist that temptation to just Settle jump to, to a solution. It's, solution. It's, yeah. it's a big difference often between an inventor and a designer mm. is that yeah the inventor will often uh, latch onto an idea and, and just go straight to the, the solution or then they might um, accidentally go through a bit of a process mm. but the designer is uh, someone who does follow that process I and mean, here at QT we we're mostly following the the double diamond yep. approach probably familiar with there's a whole bunch of different uh, methods or, or approaches out there um, but yeah, following that approach, uh, that methodology is really important. The double diamond is now part of the Australian curriculum okay, as well. Cool. So it is common okay. in the um, yep. context of high school level as well. So it's aligned with the tertiary education that's going mm. hand in hand as well. So it's it's one of those things that we're you know, innately wired to go and problem solve because mm. that's what humans do. We got to problem solve because yeah. we've got a problem. So yeah. it's the difference between becoming a designer and waiting for that, going through failure, going through the iterations, mm -hmm. but also spending the time to getting to know the, who the person is, who the user, who's the end point, um, mapping those processes, spending time on those things is very important. Um, so awesome any other advice for students because I feel like there's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe this is some advice not necessarily for students but mm. for the outside world I think maybe for students to try and educate the rest of the world about design uh, industrial design I'll talk about I don't know about other disciplines so much mm -hmm. but the design is not a linear process and one of the things that I love the double diamond process because it puts the emphasis on the research side which is really important um, but one of the problems with it is that it tends to it tends to denote a linear process where you start mm. at one end and you work your way to the mm. to the other end yeah. um, and design is not like that it's design messy. it's messy it's messy <laughs> and you have to be prepared that sometimes you'll get you'll go down some path that's that's going to take you nowhere you have yeah. to go back um, and every time you go back though you learn something new and it becomes better so having a sort of a this this sort of iterative uh, circular process that's that's all over the place it might seem confusing and a lot of other people from other disciplines that I think most other disciplines in the world tend to work on a more linear process. So I think a lot of people really struggle to see the design process as being this messy process. Mm. Um, but I guess we just need to educate the rest of the world that design does what design does mm. and the results that we get are from not following a linear process, from following the process that works best. And we know over many, many years that that sort of messy process is actually the way it works. But to conceptualise it, the double diamond works really well because it shows 
how we and I think it. you're hundred percent nail on the head when you when you actually search design thinking models just as a quick Google search you'll get thousands mm-hmm. of different visual models and that's the same design approach just fitted to different yeah. contexts of how people visually represent it mm-hmm. so this is something we constantly try and hammer in our workshops so I'm very happy to hear yeah. <laughs> glad to hear it <laughs> I'd add in for students uh, to follow your passions as well and mm-hmm. um, even here at university, once you've left school, you've chosen to do, say, industrial design, uh, you've obviously got an interest in it, mm-hmm. but there's still a big difference between the students who are passionate about it, mm-hmm. who live and breathe design, who mm. are interested in how things work, who when something breaks, they pull it mm. apart and want to figure out why and how yep. uh, this thing works. Uh, they're the ones that... Uh, you can see by the end of university, they're the ones that are going to change the world uh, afterwards. Uh, yes, you can be a designer that just knows how to do stuff, mm. but unless you're passionate about it, you're going to walk away jaded within yeah. a few years because it's just not uh, worth it. So, uh, yeah, follow your passions. Yeah, and I think, and, again, going back to Steve Jobs, one of the quotes came to my mind while you were saying that was he was constantly saying, if you're working for Apple, if you're working for my mm. team, you need to, we're creating insanely awesome products. We're not here yeah. to make money. We're here to create insanely awesome products. Yeah. Keep saying that. <laughs> don't, don't go into it for the money. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's not really there. There you go. There you go. Be, be inquisitive is the other thing I'd say. You know, mm-hmm. Be inquisitive about everything. Every time you look at anything, just think to yourself, well, how was that made? Why, why was it made that way? How's that what, coming together? What, yeah, what, together? what was the designer thinking when they were, yeah. when they were doing that? Mm. And, uh, and, and with, that, with that, you might not necessarily have the answers, but at least that, that's, that's how you should look at the world. Mm. Um, yeah, and design great products. I mean, that's what it's all about. Design something fantastic. Um, and yeah, just mm. and, and, and try and convey that. That's, so the trouble is that if you go into a meeting with, um, with a whole bunch of other people, there might be accountants there, there might be the managing director of a company and whatever. They're there to make money. That's mm. their job. That's mm. Their job is to make money. Yeah. Your job is to make awesome products. There you go. The two things are not necessarily... Well, they're, they're compatible, obviously. If you have great products, you'll probably make lots of money, yeah. but, the, but the way of making a great product is not necessarily the most efficient way of making money. Correct. So, um, so there's a little bit of friction there sometimes. Yeah. And don't expect to be spoon-fed everything mm. either. Yeah. Um, That's where the curiosity yeah. and inquisitive... Yeah, exactly. Um, like, and as teachers, you don't need to know the answers to everything either. That's um, literally the next question I was going to ask you. What's the advice for the yeah. teachers? Because that's something yeah. you literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> What's your advice for teachers? Because this is something we constantly tell them. You don't need to know exactly what the answers <clears throat> are. My thing is you can't. No, no. <laughs> it's too much. So how do you handle that? My, my advice my advice really is to, is to the process. The process is really important. Mm-hmm. Stick with the process. Um, I know there's a quote from IDEO from... Um, Tim, Tim, Tim Brown, Tim Brown. Um, who, who, who said something along the lines of um, just believe in the process mm-hmm. and you will get results. Even mm-hmm. when you're doing something you think there's yeah. no way we can get uh, anything meaningful out of this. Mm-hmm. Just follow the process, trust in the process and it will take you to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. So for, for teachers, yeah, um, don't make it, don't like, don't spoon feed, you know, just let, let's just show them what the process is yeah. and let them go. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great resources out there that students can follow up on their own as well. Mm. Uh, and it's, in some ways, it's uh, often what I'm doing here is 
um, showing here's some places you can go to find out this information. I don't have all the answers. It's all there. Yeah. I haven't needed to find the answer. Um, my we haven't explored that particular yours, problem. Yes. But uh, if it was me, then this is somewhere I would go to find an answer for that. Mm. Or um, these days, uh, Google, YouTube, yep. fantastic resources. And when I went through uni, I was learning 3D Studio Max uh, with two 800-page textbooks sitting on my lap, um, <laughs> trying to find keywords in there to figure out how to do something and now it's yeah. like okay well if I want to do something like that I'll just jump on YouTube or LinkedIn learning or some, one of those tools and, and type in a couple of keywords and mm. there'll be some 10 year old kid who can explain <laughs> to me how to do that particular thing yeah I haven't needed to know until now uh, but uh, yeah that's looking so, for the answers yeah yeah it's ha- looking for the answers and how to find the answers yeah uh, is Sort of the key things that I would be trying to get across rather mm. than being an expert in everything. But yeah. Yeah, and also there there's no right or wrong when it comes to design. That's one of the interesting things mm. about design. There's mm. no right or wrong, there's only better or worse. Mm. And better or worse is, is subjective. Yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, I mean you can get it right or wrong if something doesn't work, obviously it's wrong. Yeah. But generally if it fits the criteria, if it's the brief, then it, it's how well is it executed? The question is how well how yeah. well does it do that? And does it go beyond just what what mm. what the brief is trying to get you to do? You know, mm. can it do something further? Can you that's when that's when it becomes really interesting when you start pushing the boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And that whole idea you started off talking about Tim of industrial design going beyond the physical product to uh, broader systems thinking uh, and then even expanding out into business opportunities or different areas and we're not um, trained as uh, in business or trained in some of these other areas but um, our approach and the process if we can start to be thinking about those other areas uh, with a design mindset it Mm. opens up a lot of opportunities yeah uh, which is what then leads into yeah, a bit more of that entrepreneurial aspect, which is where I'm leading into these days. Yeah, and it actually reminds me of a case study we did with um, a state school in Sunshine Coast where the teachers were guided with this kind of thing and they broke the 14-year same project, the factory mentality that they've been doing for mm. the last 14 years. All they did was allow the students to find their own problem. But there were so many industrial designers now that I think about it. There were girls making different jewelry items that were Mm. designed towards climate action. There were fabric printed T-shirts. There were um, irrigation systems. There were IVD specialist game designs. Mm. And we were blown away by just by looking at these different viewpoints coming together and they were all kind of aligned with industrial design, otherwise smack bang in the middle of it. And they came up with them, those ideas themselves mm-hmm. and they were just so surprised. So that's great. And when setting a brief, for example, uh, don't necessarily go into it with a preconceived idea of, mm. of you're designing a spice rack. Yeah. Uh, what you're doing is break it down to your basic principles of why are we designing a spice rack? Well, we need to organize these things. Mm. And so um, the the, the job is uh, to um, make it easier to access the correct spice. Uh, and give them perhaps, a different twist on the brief. Even. Yeah, so yeah. perhaps instead of a physical spice rack, uh, it becomes the label on top of the, the container so you can see it easier. Or yep. uh, there's different ways to, to mm. explore that. There you go. 
There you go. Coming from a student who's actually gone and done the spice track <laughs> yep. when they were in high school. There you go. Love it. So, um, unfortunately, I feel like we can talk about this for <laughs> days, <laughs> but uh, for the purpose of the episode, uh, we've come towards the end. So if they do want to reach out to you or get in touch with you, what's the best method of contact? Uh, just via email, I think. Um, just email us at, uh, um, at QUT. Um, I think you'll probably put the email address somewhere. Yeah. That's accessible. Um, but yeah, we're, we're happy happy to uh, to feel any questions about industrial design. Awesome. We'll yeah. uh, definitely drop those details in the show notes. Cool. And uh, you guys can get in touch with both the speakers today. So one random question that I usually ask, and this could be honestly anything it comes to me on the moment, but I feel like I've been wanting to, I've been talking about movies, Steve Jobs and everything. What's your favorite movie from an industrial design perspective that's just been so awesome? Uh, <laughs> minority Report, I reckon. Minority yes. Report, interesting, yeah. why? Uh, just the interaction, uh, the sign of how, yes. how to interact with screens and uh, and the uh, the following of, of, uh, of the advertising. That just because that's technology which is really it's it's nearly here. We're and almost there. We're yeah. almost there. We're almost there. So it's really, really, I think, really, really good future casting because it's it's, it's believable. Um, it's nearly here, but not quite. And yeah, I think that's really compelling. Yeah. Mm. What about you? Uh, <laughs> can't say Iron Man. So many different movies. Can't say Iron Man. Can't say Iron Man. I do a lot of his approach to stuff and and some of the other Marvel uh, movies as well in, yeah. in that space as well. Uh, yeah. The, Wakanda tech and all yeah, that sort of side absolutely. of things. It's, it's just awesome. It's like, yeah. The way they're so doing things. And I mean, we've, we've got guys that have come through. I think you've interviewed Ben as well. Who's, yes. Who's come through and actually gone and done work in Marvel. Yeah, he's working on Avatar 2 right now. So oh, cool. it's insane, insane things. So I think that's where the cool part is, like the endless possibilities with this exciting field. So thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been an absolute thank pleasure. You. We can yeah. talk about it for days, but I think... Already the listeners have so much, so really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. That's it for today's episode. Now it's time to take action and build on the learnings to get inspired. First up, jump on to rashansenanayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes, links, and other relevant learning materials from this amazing episode. Next, if you learned something new today, click that subscribe button and set yourself up to receive live notifications on future episodes, as well as more opportunities to learn from our amazing guests, brands, and speakers. Last but not least, it's time to have your say. Join the conversation and share your thoughts and feedback on today's episode with a review, all while joining many others with a five-star rating for Inspiring Design with Rashan Senanayaka. Till next time.